Welcome to episode 27, would you believe, of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from the European Super League's defunct base of operation, it's Dr. Nick Quescence. How are you doing, Doc? I am exceptionally well. Mm. Um, it's a fascinating place here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, much like some of the other places that I've uh, I've had to hide out in um, over the last couple of years, um, it has the the atmosphere of being having been prepared for a very long time. So just as 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 the other place, uh, the plastic shrink wrap is uh, still on all the control consoles. Yes, all of the operations manuals are still sort of in their um, in their bookcases at the back of the room with the shutters still down. So it was. Obviously prepared at great expense long ago. Um, and in fact, so many of the almanacs and journals and publications in the bookcases um, are from the, the, the period 1989 to 1990. I'm assuming this facility was prepared and then mothballed when the premiership came off. Very interesting, Doc. You, you have a conspiracy theory, I feel. Um. I only, like all conspiracy theorists, um, I never conjecture. I only go by the evidence of my own eyes. Of course, that, that nobody else can possibly understand, presumably. Because nobody else has seen it. Of course, yes. Yeah, so, and also nobody's, nobody's as intelligent as you and all of your fellow conspiracy theorists. Yeah, and I mean, um, more to the point, not many other people can get up the waste pipe um, into the disabled toilet the way I can. Oh, yes. Like Odo from Deep Space Nine, you flow like jelly. I think of me more like um, the way that the space that an octopus can get through um, is constrained literally by the diameter of its parrot-like beak. Okay, which is yes. the, which, which, which is the only horny, not the, the only solid, horny, non-compressible part of an octopus. Um, so if an octopus can get its beak through a space... Um, then the rest of it can go through. Are to, you telling um, me, Doc? Are you, Doc, are you telling me that if an octopus did not have a, have a beak, it could slide gently and easily under like a, a one millimetre gap? Yeah. Um, there is a fascinating story um, of Birmingham Sea Life Centre. Um, and they had a tank with some octopuses in. And across the other side of the room, they had a tank with some very exotic fish that could have been traded um, for a high price. But these fish kept going missing, and the management obviously suspected one of the employees of removing them. So in the days before there were cameras everywhere, they set up a security camera, or they set up a video camera, to watch at night time, and it turned out that the octopus was getting through the, not one millimetre, but getting through the 12 or 14 millimetre gap at the top of its tank, mm. crawling across the floor, which is a distance of about 25 feet, getting into this other fish tank, eating the fish, and then going <laughs> back home again. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Ingenious, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, um, the, the, it's not a conspiracy theory, because conspiracy theories are only for crazy people, um, and not for completely rational people like mm. me. And when the Premiership gained the ascendancy, and, 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 and basically won in 1990, um, the... Uh, the Super League apparatus was 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 mothball, but um, by 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 no means sort of put to bed or put to sleep. 
Now, we, we, we have to make a slight correction, Doc. It's 1992 when the Premier League started because people will get will complain. People get very heated about this topic. Um, that's when they got. That, that's when the public got to know about it. Oh, I see. Yes, of course. Of now, course. I put it, I put it to you. Um, there's an agreement was reached mm. during which the Premiership would have thirty years mm. in which to run. Mm-hmm. After which, the European Super League um, would 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 then be permitted its 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 little hour in the sun. Wow! Wow! So you're suggesting that even though it seems at the moment that the idea is dead. It is likely, like a, like like the phoenix from the ashes, to rise again sometime in the near future. Um, or like many many of those ideas um, that um, are floated and debated endlessly, and after a lot of debate and a lot of discussion and a lot of general agreement, uh, it's agreed by everybody that they're going to be put to bed, and then suddenly you wake up one morning and discover that the idea has been implemented. Mm. I'm furious that it was cancelled, actually, because Villa would have been in third place if, if, if they had gone ahead. But never mind it. That, that's enough football talk, I feel, Doc. Um, I'm learning how to drive really big trucks. What do you think about that? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think it's fantastic. Um, I picture you actually meeting your end um, mm trying to cross the last bridge into Mexico and freedom. Oh, yes, sure. I, 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 in my imagination, I'm crossing the ice bridge, trying to um, reach, you know, the, the one kilometre high ice wall, after which we know all of the water flows off the end of the world. That's how I see my demise coming. But, you know, you've obviously got a different vision to me. Well, let's, let, let's go with yours for a second. Um, I put it to you that... Um, mm. That would be your end, but not your demise. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, passing passing beyond the wall of sleep, passing mm-hmm. beyond the mountains of madness, um, into the realm that lies there beyond. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, to coin a phrase, death is not the end. Exactly. An end is only a beginning that we do not yet understand. Yes. I think it, I think it was Jasper Carrot that said that, but I could be wrong. Um, um, I think it was also Jasper Carrot who said, a happy ending is merely a matter of where you choose to end the story. Oh, good Lord. What a wise man Jasper was. Um, Topic of the week, Doc. Are you ready for this? I am. Here we go. Um, The role of the producer. I don't know. Talk to me about it, because I think you understand this far better than I do. Yeah, so... um, (sighs) Generally speaking, in in music, um, not cinema, it's something different, and not television, that's something different as well. The role, the 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 guy who gets credited credited as producer, um, can span all the way from pretty much um, the humble recording engineer who receives direction from the band and executes their instructions, um, all the way up to in the classical paradigm, in in the jazz paradigm, what you'd call a band leader. And in the classical paradigm, what you call a composer. Oh yes, okay. Um, so we'll take two. We'll we'll, we'll take two ridiculous extremes. <clears throat> um, in the most hardcore of hardcore punk, so let's say Crass, the producer who was a chap named John Loder, um, was quite literally the guy who owned a tape recorder. Right. That's 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 how he got the job. Yeah. Um, he owned a tape recorder and a mixing desk and some microphones, and that made him the producer. Mm. <clears throat> 
Um, he went on to have a career as a quote-unquote proper producer um, and produced some records that people have even heard of. Um, but that's one end of the spectrum. Mm. At the other end of the spectrum, um, and there are probably even more extreme modern examples, um, I expect people who know a lot about Kanye West could tell you a lot about this. But at, at the opposite extreme, um, I'm going to talk about someone like Dr. Dre. Oh, yes. Um, who is arguably more famous and arguably better paid than any of the people he produces. Mm. And um, he's so well known for having a sound and having a production method. And for, I said, in the context of jazz, he's a band leader, true. In the context of um, classical music, he's a composer, true. And in the context of musical theatre, um, he would be the, the songwriter or the arranger. Sure. That's the interesting um, part um, for me is that, is that that notion of arrangement. I find that very, yeah. very interesting, you know, because at what point, you know, at what point does the arrangement become the writing? You know, where is that, where is that boundary? Um, well, once again, that depends on the relationship between the guy calls himself the producer um, and the artist. Mm. So um, let's take, let's pick another completely different set of extremes at the moment. You take some a, a wildly successful um, mainstream recording artist, and off the top of my head, I'm going to pick Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. um, who is obviously wealthy and powerful enough to pick her own producers and pick people um, that I won't say she gets along with, but who she has a working relationship with. And you, you, you get into recordings that are a collaboration between a, a, a producer who is a powerful individual in their own right and a performer who is also a powerful uh, creative individual in their own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you get shared duties. Um, then you get other examples. Um, and sometimes they're, they're, they're not the way you might think. There's one that's just swum into my head from out, out of absolutely nowhere. Um, Nirvana's hotly debated third album, um, In Utero. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve um, Albini? I, 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 I seem to remember. Well, this is the very interesting thing. Uh. Um, coming from that whole kind of West Coast, North, uh, Pacific Northwest, vaguely punk, vaguely hardcore scene, um, nobody in those days in that part of the world called it grunge. Um and you would imagine, wouldn't you, that out of all bands, they would be the ones who are hell-bent on being self-determined and wanting a record to sound the way they wanted it to and to have orchestrations and compositions the way they wanted. And for this reason, they hired Steve Albini, um, who, by his own lights, is a recording engineer. He won't even call himself a producer. Right. Um, according to him, um, he works the he, he, he works the electrics to the best of his ability. Um and tries to make a recording of what the band sound like. Sure. For whatever reason, um, a lot of that work ended up being redone by, and I, I think I'm right about this, Scott Litt, um, who, had previously, who, was, who was previously most famous for working with R.E.M. Mm-hmm. Um, and hiring, and he, he'd previously worked with Blake Babies and some, um, some Boston area kind of vague borderline cutie pop bands mm. uh, i mean for, for for nirvana to hire for nirvana of all people at the peak of their popularity when they could have farted into a microphone and sold it mm-hmm. um 
and you would think that Steve Albini would be a perfect match. Um, I suspect he would. He was hired off of um, the production work he'd done for the Pixies quite recently, um, and probably less. But it would have been a factor because um, Nirvana were at least slightly influenced by Big Black, mm. and for whatever reason. A, a, at least half of the album ended up being being produced by Scott Lutt. Um, and the only conclusion you can draw from that, and obviously you'll never get a definitive answer because out of those three people, one of them's dead um, and two of them don't talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a conclusion to this, which is sometimes people who you might not expect hire someone who is far more of a producer, far more of an arranger, someone who's going to have far more of an influence on the sound than you might expect. I wonder what influence Albini had on that on that third Nirvana album, actually, because, you know, I mean, for my money, it is, I mean, it is just terribly, terribly pedestrian and unremarkable. Um, you know, now, as somebody who really, really admires Steve Albini, particularly like the production on um, uh, his shellac work, I mean, yeah. it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, um, and obviously, you know, some, some early big black stuff I find, I find really, really cool as well. Um, but it, I listened to that third Nirvana album, I mean, not for many, many years, of course, now, but, but I was just, I was struck by how unremarkable it was. Um, there could be a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, you, you don't go, you don't go to Steve Albini for turd polishing. Um, you, uh, he, he's specifically the one guy in the world you, you do not go to if you're uncertain about how you want an album to sound or how you want your material to come across. Yeah. Um, and I, I think trying to resolve the various conflicts and conflicts of interest and opinions that were going on in the Nirvana camp at the time, um, I think if you tried to understand it, you'd probably end up going the same way as Kurt. Sure, yeah. yeah I, I imagine um, there were some raging egos at work. Um, there definitely were some raging egos, and not all of them were even in the band. Mm. Um, they were on they, they were on Geffen Records, um, which let's not forget is still a label which had a boss with an ego big enough to contend with Guns and Roses. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, comment. You know, I mean, the, um, the boss of Geffen Records, Axel Rose, described as having a rampaging ego. So <laughs> there we go. Yes, that's like um, when when uh, Doctor Melodorus referred to your scent. It, it, yes, very very, yeah. similar. When, when, very very similar. When when yeah, uh, when Professor Melodorus oh, uh, said to me, yeah. "You know what you think." Um, <laughs> you've got a bunch of shareholders in the record company who are aware of the fact that they've got on their hands the biggest rock band of the '90s so far, um, and they're because it's still Geffen, they're still waiting for Nirvana's appetite for destruction. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be a bunch of pressure. Well, you know, can, can, can we have the studio polish? Can, can, uh, mm. can we have the gloss? Mm. Um, can we have, um, you know, the last one sold 100, billion, uh, 100 million records. How about selling a billion with this one? Sure, yeah. Um, and and, and, and then, anything else specifically about the producer role, Doc, for me? The role of the, well, I, I could talk about this literally all night. Um, there's one great outlier um, in the music I listen to, um, or specifically in the, the music with guitars in it that I listen to. Um, there's one and only 
there's one and only one band who I would say are produced, as in they've got a producer who does that arranger, composer role. Um, and um, it's Joy Division. Okay. And they're, they're my favourite band. I don't even need to own their records anymore because I can pick out any second of any song and play it backwards and forwards in my head and I can play it in reverse in my head. Mm. And I, I, I don't even need to own those records anymore and I haven't listened to them for years. Mm. Um, and out of any punk, hardcore, metal, um, horrible expression, classic rock album I can think of, they're the only one that I, that, that I really like that I can say is produced as opposed to merely recorded. Sure. Um, and it's really, really hard to get away from the idea that Martin Hannett was not merely the fifth member of the band, but arguably the most important member of the band. If you've ever listened to the album that Joy Division or Warsaw made for RCA Records um, six months before they made Unknown Pleasures, then um, what you'll have noticed is, just like you just said, it's an incredibly bland, dull pedestrian by the numbers late 70s punk rock record mm -hmm. um, the only reason they ever got that deal to make that record is because RCA in Manchester were under pressure to get a punk rock band mm -hmm. um, they'd been told by the executives that the punk thing wasn't going to last for another six months and if they wanted on the bandwagon they'd better get a band that they better just grab a band right now mm -hmm. um, so that and it's the the first Joy Division album proper um, it's most of the same songs. There aren't many new songs on there that weren't on the RCA album. Um, but you you let Martin Hannett loose with all of that stuff. Um, well, you, you let Martin Hannett and his heroin habit and his obsessive compulsive disorder loose on that album. And you get a record that sounded like nothing that you've ever heard before. Now, um, you know, I'm pretty familiar with Joy Division. You know, up there as, you know, one of my favourite non-metal bands I would say some you know some of their stuff just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand on end every time I hear it um, one thing I don't, one thing I don't remember from any of their music is um, orchestration now where does the producer play a role there because if I think about for example a band like manic Street preachers um, their first three albums, Seemed, the producer seemed to have a very kind of light touch on it. As soon as Rich Manning died and they turned into a bunch of accountants, mm -hmm. suddenly there was orchestration all over the place. Now, they don't write that, do they? The producer writes that. And that's where we get this interesting blurring between composer, arranging, producing. Yeah, that's right. So if if the producer feels that the song would benefit from some embellishments, yeah, um, I mean that that can run all the way from. <clears throat> um, I don't think this is widely known, um, and I think going right back to the first album, um, the Manic Street Preachers would um, hire an uncredited session guitarist to play the parts that they couldn't. Okay. Because um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, um, peculiarly, um, second mention of Guns N' Roses in ten minutes. They wanted that album to be the appetite for destruction that the rest of the world never got. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they really, really wanted the album to be like that. And they they had some guitar parts that they could write and they could play slowly and they could just about play live, but they, they, they couldn't play well enough for a studio recording. So that there's, there's some uncredited session musicians, so that there's, there's an aspect of orchestration there. Um, like you said, when you get onto a design for life, et cetera, et cetera, um, and you get the strings parts, 
yeah, the producer would have done that. Mm -hmm. um, the producer would likely have said, well, I, I, I don't know who said it. Um, maybe the band would have said, um, and we thought some strings would be cool under here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the context of Joy Division, um, going back to orchestration, Martin Hannett told them how to play the songs. Okay. Um, I mean, they were, they were the band's original songs and the band's original tunes. But, um, I, I mean, if you've ever watched 24-Hour Party People, um, that's fiction, obviously, but based on fairly well-documented fact that Martin Hannett told Stephen Morris that um, nobody's played drums like that for about 30,000 years. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> apparently he played like a fucking caveman. Um, and he took the drum kit to pieces and would only allow him to play one drum at once. Yes. Yes, um, that's fascinating. One of my um, constant memories of, of Joy Division is the, is the video, the official video for Transmission and the drummer. The drumming is what, is, is what fascinates it. it, it, it I, I'm hypnotised by it. Hmm. You know, um, there's a level of consistency and just almost like an automaton to it, it, it it's fabulous yeah and i mean that i i get the idea that comes from um like eight hours of being chained to his drum stool and made and, and, and made to take the drum parts to pieces one by one and play each drum individually yeah yeah um and um you, you also hear stories about uh, how um peter um peter hook um, was such a lousy bass player that um, on that album, Martin Hannett took the string, uh, like took three out of four strings off his bass and made him play the bass parts using only one string at a time. There's legend of this about uh, Dire Straits, no, 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 not, not Dire Straits, so Def Leppard. Um, the Hysteria album, I think their most commercially successful album of all time, you know, by repute was recorded one string at a time because the guitarists were just so smacked out of their minds, they were incapable of playing. <laughs> um, I've heard all kinds of stuff about production on on, on the Hysteria album. Mm. Um, the, um, the Fairlight Machine, which was kind of the, the first sampler that you could use, um, was just about available. There were, there were probably about half a dozen um, in the world at the time. They were stupidly expensive. Peter Gabriel owned one, Paul McCartney owned another one, and Kate Bush owned another one. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that's that's how difficult these things were to come by. Um, the the brilliantly named Bob Rock, um, <laughs> who um, I believe was the producer on the Hysteria album, mm. apparently borrowed one from somewhere for about four weeks, um, and basically recorded Def Leppard playing all of the different noises um, that they wanted to play on the album, um, and then played the guitar parts himself using a sampler. Good God, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what the truth is. Maybe, maybe we'll never know. Maybe we won't. But I mean, mm -hmm. has 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 that answered a few questions about the, the the role of the producer and what the producer does? Very, very, very interesting, Doc. And I, I, I knew you would have a few words to say about that. Now, of course, <laughs> we're not here to talk about producers. We're here to talk about Slayer, and in particular, we're here to talk about uh, the third track on Raining Blood, which is the second track on Raining Blood which is piece by piece. Um, don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slitanicvercast at gmail.com. Um, part two. Welcome to part two of the show. Um, here 
We play the track, we pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to and generally just get on down. As I just mentioned, this week's track is the second song from Slayer's third album, Rain Blood, which is called Peace by Peace. Here we go. start by saying doc i cannot express to you how difficult that is to play could you explain why um they are making use of palm muting so that you know for people that don't play guitar that means that you press your palm against the strings which gives that kind of muted chug effect that us metalers love so dearly um and we very often refer to as chugging. Chugging, exactly. They're chugging away. And at the same time, they're kind of double strumming. So down and up picking on different strings at reasonably high speed with incredible um, accuracy of tempo. I can play almost anything that Slayer play. Doc, I've been trying for 25 years. I can't play this. That is really, really interesting. Um, to someone such as myself, who is a untutored but not completely inexperienced musician in the vaguely noisy vein, um, I wouldn't have guessed from listening to it um, that it was as difficult to play as you do. I, I, I believe you. Yeah. Um, of course, I absolutely accept what you said. Um, it's one of those things you find in music. Um, I, I listen to more jazz than you. Um, I know that. And I'm, I'm always fascinated to read liner notes um, and listen to commentators um, or scholars of the subject talk about, um, you know, uh, saxophone players have been trying and failing for 50 years to, um, to pull off that solo. And I listen to it. And it sounds, well, since I can't play saxophone, um, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to play it. But um, it's one of those things where you, you have to do it yourself, I think, to appreciate just how difficult a particular thing is. I, I think this particular piece, it's, it's just the combination of three separate techniques, each one of which is not particularly difficult, but putting them together with such radical precision is you know for me immortals is you know almost insurmountable um i would say of all the slayer that i've ever tried to learn i've mastered well, I'm a master sounds a bit arrogant but you know what i mean I, I can do it with the exception of about three moments and all three are on this album goodness gracious me yeah so, um, you know, for the record I, I i don't think claiming mastery after 25 years of practice is arrogant mm. um no, I mean, I, I, I'd say 25 years of practice would, would entitle you to say um, you, you, you've obtained the uh, the mastery of the subject. Well, I appreciate that, um, so, you know, but, but I felt uncomfortable with the use of the word to describe myself, you know? Um, well, I justify you then in that case. Thank you, brother. Um, 
I generally dislike flagrant displays of excessive musicianship. Um, mm. I can't listen to any shred metal at all. Yeah. Um, not even fucking tolerate it. Um, <laughs> Ingrid, are you listening? Uh, and it, it well, you, you, you picked a soft target there. Um, but I mean, even, even something which would otherwise be extreme to suit my taste, something like death, um, oh, yes. I struggled with. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it's when excessive displays of technical prowess begin to detract from effect. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, Death are, Death are a great example. I love their first couple of albums. Scream, Bloody Gore and Leprosy are... Excellent. <laughs> 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 are excellent. But, but when, they, when they get into kind of, you know, guitar wailing histrionics on the likes of... Um, what's it called? Um, oh, I can't think of the album name. Symbol, uh, symbolic, I think it is. No, I, I, I lose a bit of interest. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, don't don't play just don't play death metal if you're going mm. to do that. Like, form form another band. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, be do do what if if you must um, be excessively technical. Do what Phil Collins did. Um, take all your profits from your solo work and have a non-profit making side project where you can play really really technical stuff and indulge yourself and your and 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 have fun with your friends. Mm. Um, with all of that stuff, mm. Mm. Um, but you know, don't, don't please, please don't, please don't subject it. Please don't subject the people who pay your wages to it. It's not talking fun. of talking of musical technicality and Phil Collins. I find it absolutely flabbergasting that very, very often you'll see, you know, like a, something on TV or a list in a magazine or on a website. You know, the the, the ten best drum solos of all time and always at number one is that fucking Phil Collins one that goes I could fucking play that that's not a drum <laughs> solo the, the, um, the guys from fucking Vader and Anata are sitting there looking at it like that's the best drum solo ever. go fuck yourself honestly doc well, you, you've triggered mate. me you've triggered me doc um, I'm going to make you feel even better about it now. Go on. I have I have a sneaking suspicion um, that um, not only did Phil not play the drums on that recorded version of that solo, um, I have a sneaking suspicion that, and this ties neatly back into our discussion topic tonight. Um, I think the producer who was programming the Lindrum machine probably played that solo. Oh, good God! Good God! Um, I, I, I hate that 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 drum solo so much. Not not because it's a bad little fill. But just the, the repute it has is, is so uncalled for. Um, oh, Doc, I'm done. I'm, I'm done ranting. Um, should, should, we get back right. to, um, should we get back to a little bit of a uh, bit of Slayer? Calm yeah. nerves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, um, Phil, Collins has, uh, Phil Collins has made us feel violent and aggressive. He's fired so, me uh, up. He's fired me uh, up and made me feel uh, full of hate. So let's listen to Slayer to calm down. Exactly. It'll make us feel better. It's our medicine. Here we go.
they strip it down any further, Doc, and it still be metal? Well, um, I think we're now getting into the the territory that that, that people sort of love to talk about. Um, back in the days when I first got into Slayer, um, which was effectively that Slayer and Creator were the metal bands it was okay for hardcore kids to like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and people love to sort of talk up the, the 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 influence of hardcore on Slayer, and then a bit later on the the the, the genial payback um, and the influence of Slayer on hardcore, mm-hmm. um, which I've always struggled to hear. If you're going to hear it anywhere, it's here, isn't it? Of course. Um, so on this album in general, and I mean very specifically this song. So. Um, You've already drawn attention to that initial part that's actually very difficult to play. Oh, te- technically I'm... challenging. It doesn't sound it. Honestly, honestly, guys, you go, you, you go try and play it and tell me I'm wrong. Um, so there's something very interesting musically going on here, which is almost the concealment um, of extreme ability mm-hmm. um, behind a song structure that wants to make you think it's simpler than it really is. Um, I can't help. Um, there's some very, very complex rhythms in the drumming as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, the, that double stop is absolutely, is, is fabulous. Isn't it? It, it, the, yeah. the track starts with that, you know, didn't, didn't, almost kind of, almost kind of a, asyncopated somehow. You don't quite expect it. Of, of course, you know it now because we've heard the, the song so many times. But the first time, that second double stab comes as a real surprise. I would be fascinated to know if there's an influence uh, on, in Dave's playing, I'd be fascinated to know if there's an influence from Ginger Baker of Cream mm. here. Uh, someone else I read an interview with, and he was talking about, um, people always say I play fast. Um, I don't play fast, I just play in time. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he always denied being Speed Demon, he always denied being able to play particularly fast. Um, but he said because, presumably because he unwires his four limbs using copious amounts of heroin. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 he disconnects his four limbs um, from his torso. And he's able mm-hmm. to play in four different time signatures at once, um, which, which, which gives the illusion of speed. And I think, you can, I, I think you can pick out a bit of that going on here. Sure. Um, that earlier section where there's something very interesting, and I, I, I can't even pick out quite what it is but he's not hitting the drums very quickly but he's doing something with the rhythm that creates an illusion of speed does that make any sense it, it, it does it, it's almost like he's i don't know how to how, really you, you, we're going to sound very very foolish trying to explain this but i think i know exactly what you mean it's almost like the the bass drum and the snare drum are just because of course they're the mark that there are markers for the pace of a track aren't they um, yeah, and it's almost like they're, they're you know they're just kind of off each other just a little bit, and it just makes it feel like there's more impetus than there actually is, you know. Um, yeah, in um, in horror films, um, it's the technique of cutting away at the moment that you avert your eyes to make you think you've witnessed something a lot nastier than you really have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it, it, it's 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 mistiming something very calculatedly and very slightly that makes it sound like it's being played a lot faster than it is. Um, I, I, I can. I was going to say it sounds surprising. It doesn't sound surprising because a lot of people do just this. You could listen to Dave Lombardo playing by himself 
Mm-hmm. Couldn't he? Oh, most certainly. And in fact, I have done that on occasion, Doc. Dave Lombardo, <laughs> there's some great videos on YouTube of Dave Lombardo kind of giving little drum lessons, basically. I think each one runs 10, 15 minutes. Anybody interested in drumming, honestly, go and check them out. They're really, really interesting. Um, he comes across as a, a really warm, engaging man, and he's giving you his gifts for free. <laughs> You can ask for more. Um, should we uh, give another 20 seconds or so? What do we reckon? Yeah, a bit more song. Here we go. Modulistic terror about sadistic peace. The only way to exit is going piece by piece. Bones and blood lie on the ground. Rotten is lighted. Decapitated bodies found. Oh, I want your head. Very strange timing again there. You've got a riff. Underneath, underneath the verse there, that very strange timing. If this is what the drums are doing and what the guitars are doing, it's not automatic, it's not natural. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've got some ideas flowing at this point. Am I right about this? When we listen to the next bit, listen to the drums again. And um, even though basically it's going boom-tish, 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 mm. Um, I think it's doing it on the opposite beats to the ones you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether a normal 4-4 goes on the ones and twos. If it does, then that's going on the threes and fours. Right. Oh, yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, let's have a listen. Let's find out. On the trail, I close the gap of a life that soon won't be. No emotion, flesh is all I need. Yeah, it's like the snare drum feels like half a step behind what the bass drum's doing, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it, it yeah. is weird timing. There's no doubt about it. I'm sure, I'm sure drummers are listening to this thinking, what are you blithering imbeciles talking about? But we can only um, talk about what, you know, what our ears are perceiving. Sure. And if any drummers are listening to this and they, uh, and, and they know what it is that we're talking mm. about and they can put us straight, we'd love please. to hear from you. Of course, yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, yes, please. Safer Slayer territory there, isn't it? I mean, that, 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 you know, that's much more kind of traditional thrash metal going on there. You know, no yeah. weird time, no weird time signatures happening. Just big, fat power chords and the, and the drums going crazy underneath. Yeah. Can, can you detect um, the, the bass at all, Doc? Um, I believed I could for a mm, second or two. Mm. In there. I'm, get, I'm getting flickers. <clears throat> it sort of it, it, it swims in and out of focus quite a bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I think you're right, but it's it is there, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think what people always used to say about um, the role of the bass in metal is you'd miss it if it wasn't there. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Um, <coughs> and I, I, I think that's a prime example of it. Um, but I suppose you know when when the music is so fast and furious um, and unrelenting. You know, would the bass kind of get in the way if it was doing little flourishes or or not? What do you reckon? Doc? Yeah, it would. Um, yeah. From time to time, you, you, you'll 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 find a thrash band with a bass player who fancies himself a bit. 
Mm. Um, and who, who who tries to sort of um, put some bits and and it, and it, it never quite works. Mm. Any, um, any examples come to mind, Doc? Um, I was I was thinking Metallica actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, when when Cliff Burton does it, it's 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 kind of okay because he's speaking of the dead and it's not speaking of the dead anyway it's a massive compliment mm. he's he's still an old hippie and he's still anchored in the 70s and he still loves his black sabbath so yeah. when, when 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 he does it 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 works okay um but when fucking new guy um tries to play bass mm. it, it's it's just wrong mm. <laughs> you don't like it you don't like it no i understand but it is nice to hear we were talking on the last album of course just about how dominant the bass was and, and 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 just how peculiar the mix was, you know, to put the bass right to the forefront. I think here, it's just about right, isn't it? It's just about at the right level. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. You know, any louder and it, and it starts to kind of dampen the aggression on the guitars, any quieter, it might as well not be there. I think Rick Rubin's got it pretty much spot on. Mm. He could put that on his CV, by the way. <laughs> um, two blokes I've never heard of who do a podcast that nobody ever listens to said <laughs> I've got it spot on exactly exactly 35 years after the event yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's finish the track out doc here we go <laughs> So there we go, guys. That was Piece by Piece, track two from Rain in Blood, Slayer's third album. Um, two minutes, in, out, shake it all about. We're all done. Give me your thoughts, Doc. Um, so this album has no filler. Um, it's too damn short and it's too damn tight. And this this is the closest filler, I think, that you get on this album. Um, if you wanted to trim this album down even more, um, and if you really need to get the album to under 25 minutes, this is one of the two songs you'd leave off, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's I'm, not terrible. I'm going to leave um, that. I like it. You posited a tag question there. Now, a tag question for people that aren't English teachers is a construct in English where we say, that's interesting, isn't it? I did that, didn't I? I'm going to see it tomorrow, aren't I? Now, the good doctor used one there. I'm going to leave it hanging. He said, isn't it? Demanding a response from me. I'm not going to give it yet. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let the doc hang himself by his own rope. Off we go, sir. I haven't got much more to say on that subject. Mm. Um, later, I'm going to ask you what the difference is between a tag question and a begging question. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll ponder that for a second or two. Okay. Um, so... Um, We'll, 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 we'll come back to the English grammar and the educational theory a bit later on. Um, <laughs> Look forward to that, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's pretty sexy stuff around here, folks. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's um, it's a good song. Um, mm-hmm. It might even be a really good song, um, but it's it's, it, it's one of the ones that, that, that falls a smidge short of greatness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what for you? What's the missing special sauce? Could it be Doc? 
It's the only Slayer song I can think of that has no solo. Um, that's a big part of it. There's, and maybe your suggestion there will contribute to the answer I was going to give, which is, um, it doesn't rip your fucking face off. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't look like, it doesn't make you feel like you've just been swiped across the face by a clawed animal. Mm-hmm. So, just, just not aggro enough. Solo. Just not aggro enough for you. No, and the, the, the absence of a solo could, could, could be a really big part of that, which is an interesting conclusion for me to come to, because <clears throat> um, in, for instance, hardcore, um, I wouldn't ever think of demanding a solo, or I wouldn't no. ever think of that a song goes short by, by, by not having a guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a lot of, and, and obviously um, that's the most face-rippingistest aggro music there is. Well, I remember, you know, in your formative years, as you were, as you were kind of exploring metal, uh, the solos were, were, were a big obstacle for you, weren't they? Because you, you just the kind of found them obstacles. ostentatious. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's uh, probably like the extra few years um, I have on you. And um, I came off of quality you know the, the 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 rock and roll that people said was great um was still stuff that was hungover from the 70s or else it was fucking dire straits um and pe- people would, would would fixate constantly on the solos and you know we, we, we were supposed to admire uh, people like eric clapton um Please. because of the solos mm-hmm. um and i along with a lot of aging punk rockers my age i think um just came to regard um, the less solo, the better. Nice. Unless it was Jimi Hendrix, that was acceptable. Inciting Eric Clapton. Oh, God, my buttocks just clenched at the very thought of listening to the ghastly outpourings of of that man's bloody fretboard. Oh, no. Yeah, so, I mean, if if you're growing up, um, and you know anyone who's sort of slightly older than you um, sneering at your uh, sneering at your record collection and telling you you should listen to some quality stuff and you ah oh, you should listen to Eric you should listen to Dire Straits you should listen to Eric Clapton that they they know how to play a solo mm-hmm. um, and, and I mean that that's that's the reason I, I I sort of came off with 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 this highly irrational prejudice that um, solo like so guitar solos all guitar solos were for sad old wankers yeah. D- 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 your little um, explanation there puts me in mind of a conversation I had with one of my uncles. Um, and I was listening to South of Heaven. Uh, I think I'd bought it that very day. And I was listening to it. In the, I, I was in the kitchen um, listening to it on, you know, like a, a ghetto blaster. Um, and he came in and was very damning of this music. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I tried to explain the appeal of it, why I liked it, and no, 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 it's absolutely terrible. And his sage advice at the end was, I, you know, I should do myself a favour <laughs> and listen to some Rod Stewart. <laughs> honestly, just honestly, mate, just you don't have a fucking clue. 
go fuck yourself, you know. And your uncle was, um, as I know very, very well, not a sexually frustrated 50-year-old lady divorcee either. He was not, no, it's true. Um, but, um, you know, I don't imagine your uncle being sexually frustrated ever in his life. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Um, but, you know, older folk have curious opinions, and I'm sure that my opinions are curious to the young, to the younglings of these days. <laughs> um, anything else to say about this, Doc, before we move on to the, the lyrics section? We, we would normally have our, um, our favourite little game uh, where you would try to make me guess who played what part of the solo. And yeah, I, I, um, I, I always enjoy that part of the show. Mm. Um, what we can do is the next best thing. Um, which guitarist do you feel is most prominent throughout that song? Oh, I, I really don't know. Because, because there are, I mean, not only is there, is there no solo, there's no lead line. You know, there's no melody yeah. at all. <laughs> Um, so, face ripping aggression apart, the best Slayer moments happen for me when all of the musicians have their, 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 their little minute in the sun, and you really get an idea of everyone's personality by 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 what they're uh, by from the the vocals or the use of their instrument. And um, we've discussed this many many times, and we'll discuss it many many more times in the future. Um, but um, Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King are, they're, they're one of the great musical partnerships. Mm, I agree. Um, and all the, I, I can't think of another musical partnership that is so successful where both people play the same instrument. Mm, mm. Um, you can think of guitar and piano, mm -hmm. great partnerships. You can think of saxophone and trumpet, great partnerships. You can think of guitar and bass, great partnerships, but I, I can't think of anything that works this well. Um, and, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm going to speak blasphemy, including Iron Maiden. What, where, I, I was going to cite Maiden and Priest to challenge your thesis. Um, well, of course, Judas Priest don't have two guitar players. Um, they have KK Downing and Glenn Tipton, Twin Guitar Attack. Twin Guitar Attack, so it's one thing, isn't it? The Twin Guitar yeah. Attack. So we have the definite article, which proves it's one thing. So you're right. Oh, yeah, right. I accept that yeah. argument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, the great musical partnership in, um, in Maiden is um, Bruce and Adrian. Okay. For me, this is the best example I can think of as, of, of, of where the great musical partnership where two very, very different people bringing their own voice um, to a band, but doing it with the same instrument. Mm, mm. Really, really interesting point, Doc. And I, I, I generally, generally concur. Um, and we've, we've spoken uh, in the past two or three times about, you know, the, 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 the apparent telepathy between them and the utter apparent lack of ego and friction when it comes to who gets like, the coolest bits to play, um, all to be commended, yeah. I would say. Um, are we done, Doc? Should we, should we move on to the lyrics? I think we should. Welcome to part three of the show, which you know by now we call Evil Speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Dom is screaming in our faces. So, here goes. Optimistic terror! You have no choice of life or death, but this you will not 
modulistic terror, a vast sadistic feast. The only way to exit is going piece by piece. You have no choice of life or death. My face you will not see. I'll rip your flesh till there's no breath. Dismembered destiny. Hmm. What could they be talking about, Doc? <laughs> um, the excessively erudite, literate mode of discussing gross topics is most commonly associated with carcass, isn't it? Mm-hmm, it is. Um, so, um, cracking out the medical, cracking out the medical dictionary, um, and writing a song of which 60% of the lyrics consist of words that you've never heard of before, approximately. Um, I think that starts here. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out further. I'm going to say modulistic is a word that they've made up. Yes, I I actually looked this up um, and I I, I could find no formal verified definition of it. Um, because modular, no, modular is, is the adjective, isn't it? Modular, not yeah. modulistic. Um, yeah, um, it's um, you, will, you. You can find the word modulistic in modern software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only ever used after this album came out, and I love the idea that if this album is where it came from, Slayer have had an influence on modern software engineering. I would love that. Well, I'm, I'm just having a quick scout now while we're talking. Now, modulistic is the noun form of modular. So modular being the adjective. So the idea that something can be taken apart and put back together and added to. Yeah, so the question is, Doc, what are they adding? Presumably they are um, converting a, a, a composite structure, um, mm-hmm. a human body, yep. um, into, in, into its component modules. Into its modules, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So arms, legs, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> so I mean, uh, apart from the fact that it's a cool word and it fits the meter that's needed um, for the song, um, I think starting the lyrics, um, which is a pretty crass. Um, I haven't done a really awful pun yet, so they start right now a pretty crass, pretty overcooked um, <clears throat> topic in metal, um, dismemberment and cannibalism. Sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> using one of these um, sort of signifiers of, of, of excessive erudition. Um, so crucially, the song does not start with the line, I'm chopping up a body. <laughs> it starts with the line, modulistic terror. It does smack to me of, you know, because guess who wrote these lyrics, Doc? (laughs) Is it it Mr King? It's Mr King. And it does smack to me that Mr King has just opened his kind of big American thesaurus and and kind of found a cool word, basically. You know, I I know I shouldn't tease Kerry King quite so much because he's much bigger than me, much scarier looking than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do find his, his his lyrical style very very entertaining. Uh, um, a sadistic feast—that's uh, where you get your cannibal reference from, isn't it? Now, 
Definitely. I wasn't sure about this, whether, whether whether it was literally cannibalism or feast being used more figuratively as, as an image. I feel as though the appropriate noun to use with the adjective sadistic would be orgy. You're, you're probably right, yes, a sadistic orgy. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, <clears throat> sadism is a... a, a, a a sexual paraphilia it, it, it's it's got nothing particularly to do with um, with food yeah, yeah. Um, i would agree i'm also surprised and a little bit disappointed that mr king didn't find a way to rhyme feast with beast <laughs> absolutely yes In you're correct track. yeah um the uh, the only other line that stood out to me was this dismembered destiny so that's talking from the perspective of the killer isn't it? The killer believes that the victim has this destiny to be chopped up, basically. Yeah. Now, let's go back to that second line. Um, I don't know if Kerry King has actually really been reading his Marquis de Sade, um, but one of the most quoted passages from, um, I believe, La Philosophie dans le Boudoir um, is, in English, um, heaven has decreed um, that it is your destiny to suffer these punishments just mm -hmm. as it is my destiny to inflict them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's an explicit reference to actual Marquis de Sade. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, once again, it's a bit of excessive erudition um, in the same way that, that all, all sadistic murderers and all serial killers um, when they're arrested and when they give their confessions, all, all say something along the lines of, I had no choice, I had to do it, um, I wasn't in control. Yeah, the, you know, the, 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 the dog told me to, God was speaking yeah. through the dog and told me to yes. murder, the, murder that nun, basically. That's what we talked about, right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <coughs> Any other lines jump out at you, Doc, from, from this first little extract? Um, my face you will not see. Mm. Um, so is that because the, 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 the victim has already been blinded? Um, as we remember from the last song, um, Slayer had, um, had discovered uh, an, an, an interesting new putative corporal punishment that may or may not have been used in the Spanish Inquisition, which is... A bassinate. Um, yes. Yeah, what a great word. Never to be forgotten. Yeah, um, so that the, they've. Um, are we supposed to assume that the, the, the victim has been blinded, or, or, or the killer is wearing a mask? Um, if the killer is wearing a mask, could it be a dead skin mask? Oh, blind! Oh, 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 Ed Gein, oi. Here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the way that I read that was simply that you know the the, the killer. Maybe I was being too literal, but the, the killer's kind of sneaking up behind the victim and. Whoosh, slice the throat and and then you know uh, the victim at that point is helpless and, and and the killer can do whatever he wants to them you know that, that's how i read it yeah um so let's carry on and see if we get any more clues Verse 2, 
As soon as life has left your corpse, I'll make you part of me. No emotion. Death is all I see. Bones and blood lie on the ground. Rotten limbs lie dead. Decapitated bodies found on my wall. Your head. Oh, it's one of those lovely, um, you know, kind of cheeky and silly slayer lines. Well, there's, 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 there's two in this verse. There's two in this verse. On my wall, your head. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to talk about Ed Gein too much because we've got, he, he's, he's got a whole song indisputably of his own coming down of the path course. in a little while. Yeah. Um, but this, this business is sort of dis, uh, displaying a, uh, a severed head um, on the wall as a trophy. Um, it is, 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 is an Ed Gein thing. Um, but yeah, it is sort of what, one of those unintentional, oh, 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 this is Slayer <laughs> movie. Um, is. As is the line, rotten limbs lie dead. Um <laughs> And it's as opposed to. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's one of the it's one of these Kerry King lyrics you get from time to time that tries to put a grotesque image in your mind, but just the leaves you stroking your chin and going, "Well, rotten." Li-. It, the, the second part of the sentence is kind of inferred by the first. Of course, yeah, absolutely right. It would be more horrifying <laughs> if it said, "Rotten limbs lie alive." Oh, you're right, actually. It's like, like they're moving around and wriggling still. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Now, I did I, I did think, though, I really enjoyed... Now, you, you, you might not have picked up on this, Doc, because, you, you know, you, maybe you didn't read the lyrics as I did um, in preparation for the episode. Now, when it says, um, on my wall, comma, your head... Exclamation mark. And I really enjoyed the use of the exclamation mark. <laughs> I thought that was great fun. Absolutely. <laughs> On my wall, your head. Um, <laughs> it might as well I... say, if, if this song was written now, they might as well just put lots of LOL at the end, you know. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's got the same volume. Um, like or a, a um, or a, 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 a sort of um, a yellow smiley face with, with right. slitty eyes and its tongue poking out. You got it. Yeah, absolutely um, right. I'm surprised you didn't bring attention to a lyrical preoccupation that you once described as unforgivable in Come metal on. lyrics. <laughs> L- rhyming dead and head. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's just such an easy go. I, I missed it. It's such, such an easy go to. I just missed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, come on. <laughs> Explain. Why, why do benediction deserve to be mocked for rhyming head and dead, but this song doesn't? No, you're quite right. You've caught me out. You've caught me out. But, but <laughs> I, I feel I do mock Kerry sufficiently anyway. So it, it's almost implicit with Kerry that I'm going to take the piss. Um, anything else to say about this little this little section, Doc? What do we think? No, I don't, because um, everything I want to say about where I think this is going, um, we've got a better song to discuss it in later on. So I'll, I'll, I'll skip. Over One this point: part. it says, yeah. "As soon as life has left your corpse, I'll make you part of me." Now, you know, is that talking literally about the the consumption? of the flesh or is there also some kind of hideous notion that, that, that you know that, that, that somehow 
the killer is inserting parts of the body into presumably his own orifice. Yeah, so I mean, this 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 is exactly what I meant about um, the, there's there's a whole entire other song okay. um, where we'll, we'll we'll get into all of this. Um, I took it to be an Ed Gein reference that he's um, he's going to do something such as detach the uh, the vagina from the mm. body, yeah. um, wear it, or detach larger portions of skin and make clothing out of them. Sure. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, if it's Detaching the vagina would be the distaff version. If you're talking about the the flag version of the same topic, um, yeah, uh, it's possible to imagine cutting the cock off and cramming it up his own ass, which I think is what yes, you're alluding. Exactly, to. The, the, exactly what I, was, what, I, what I was alluding to. Um, I read an interesting. Make, oh, sorry, make you part of me. Yeah. Um, I need to research this. There was, I can't remember whether he was active in the Philippines or active in the U.S. I believe there was a Filipino serial killer. Um, who ate who, who who ate his victim's brain? Um, so he claimed, so that he could get their knowledge and get their power. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know whether um, it's 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 an allusion to that. Um, mm. yeah, I think you know. I, I think that those kind of myths and ideas and beliefs are persistent, aren't they? In, in, you know, in the Philippines, in certain parts of Africa, in certain parts of South America, I think I think that belief is still extant. Um, yeah, I read quite a, a, in preparation for this episode. I, I, I was reading about you know the, the 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 idea behind these lyrics. I mean, the idea is pretty bloody obvious, but anyway, you know, <laughs> so, somebody somebody um, decided to write a thousand word article, and all the, all the way through. They were referring to Jeffrey Dahmer and saying that these lyrics were based on Jeffrey Dahmer. And I was thinking, hold on, that can't be true because this predates Dahmer, the arrest of Dahmer, by at least five or six years, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and I mean, um, I, I I do believe Jeffrey Dahmer gets his own song as well a bit later on. Well, he certainly does, yes, you're quite right, yeah. The um, absolutely extraordinary 213. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <clears> I... I think you're right. I, I I think this predates the the, the discovery of, um, and was was Jeffrey Dahmer a cannibal? Oh yeah, I, th- I think so. I, yeah, I think that is that was part of his uh, mo. I think um, you know t- um, displaying things as trophies, preservation of the body, cannibalism, necrophilia, all that good stuff. I think Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. was up to yeah. Um... <clears throat> So the, the, the only other candidate I can think of, and um, honestly, off the top of my head, rather shamefully, I don't know. Does John Wayne Gacy have his own Slayer song? I know, I, 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 I really, really don't know. I, I think the fact that I don't know suggests that no, he does not. Um, because, I th- you know, I, th- I think I would remember that as a fact somewhere down the line. Yeah. Um, um, so no, I don't think so. <laughs> I suppose you, you, you might even want to say that... Um, uh, John Wayne Gacy doesn't uh, so much get his own song by Slayer, but um, he gets his own band later on. Explication, sort of play? Oh, um, I believe, at least in part, um, and I'm sure they're a favourite of yours, mate, I believe Insane Clown Posse were uh, inspired in part by uh, by John Wayne Gacy. Well, I did, I did, I did, 
to be honest, I, I do quite like me a bit of Insane Clan Posse, just because of their cool, vibing horror vibes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nothing um, wrong with them. Um, should we do the last verse? What, what do we reckon? Yeah, let's have a look at the last verse. Here we go. On the trail, I close the gap of a life that soon won't be. No emotion, flesh is all I need. On your trail, I close the gap. <coughs> One more life that soon won't be. No emotion. Your flesh is all I need. I'll send you to your maker. Confront the god you seek. A flash of red upon his chest. Safely out of reach. There's another one of those lines. Safely out of reach. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what to make of this, Doc. It, I mean, it, it's pretty... It's pretty Route One stuff, isn't it? It's all very kind of. I've just, you know, I've just joined a band and I'm trying to write a song, and this is the best I can come up with. Kind of lyrics, yeah. you know. Um, they're not very good, are they? There's just a couple of intriguing things here. Um, a flash of red upon your chest. Now, I mean that 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 sounds too singular. It sounds too pointed to be anything but an explicit reference to a, a, a very like to a particular criminal case. Well, I, I wondered if this was Kerry just injecting a little bit of that kind of Slayer mythos into it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, how is the victim being killed here? Is it is it a knife? Is it a sword? Or, might, you know, could it be like claws, demonic claws? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, 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 that's the only oh. thought I had. Some kind of metaphysical um, Slayer lore. Well, the, the, the the the, um, the the scorching of a, uh, a a demonic palm print forged in the fires of like, hell. Yeah, like branding the victim effectively. Yeah, yeah. The, the, because that line stood out to me as well. A flash of red. It's a strange. It is a strange line. The, the singularity of it. It's it, it's it's not suggesting like the, the the chest is lacerated. You know, like in a in a flurry of a, of an attack, as you would expect. No, I mean, Considering higher up the lyrics, we, we, we've 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 had a fairly sort of um, detailed, dis plenty of dismemberment, um, plenty of evisceration, yeah, um, and yet we've we've got this one line that seems to seems to sort of indicate that amongst the dismemberment and the evisceration, like somehow that that the the, um, the thoracic the, the thoracic part of the torso um, has been left untouched, so it can display this 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 signature mark somehow. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, you know, um, but do, what do you think about it as a possibility that Kerry kind of deliberately here is just adding a, a little bit of that kind of Slayer secret spice into the mix? Yeah, um, it's it's an intriguing <coughs> idea, and it it lifts it lifts the whole verse. Yeah, um, up out of the mire. It does. Um, if we are in fact returning to the um, the the Slayer mythos, um, so I mean, let's let's keep our eye on that. Let, let's see if any more references come up. Because I mean, now that you've said that, it could be any number of things. It could be um, it could be sort of 
big cat-like claw marks. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a brand. Um, it could be um, a brand meaning like a, a, a cult mark or... Mm-hmm. Like um, a tag, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe Freemasons were once accused of, of, of doing it to brothers who betrayed their secrets. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. of, of, of marking, of branding a T for traitor on their breast. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's keep our eye on that. Let, let's, let's see if that pops up again in future. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's made me more interested in that verse and in these lyrics than I was before. Um, that last line is very weak, isn't it? Safety out of reach. What a weak, weak, damp squib of a, of, of a last line for me, Doc. Unless you disagree. Is it a mistranscription? Um, I was convinced I heard the word safely out of reach. I, I, th- I, th- I think he definitely says safety. Safety. Right. Hang um, on. Yeah, in that case, it's a shit lyric. Forget well, it. Well, we have the power to check, don't we? We have the power of verification. Here we go. <laughs> You're right, I'm wrong. It's a crap Safe. lyric. It is safety, isn't it? It's just a rubbish, rubbish last line. Um, safely would, would be better, but not by much, I don't think. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what they could have said alternatively, but it, 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 it's, a, it's a really, really weak ending to the, to the song, I think, in terms of just sheer imagery. Um, let me think for 10 seconds. Um... Since we've got some non-sequitur, meaningless Bible stuff in there, um, I vote they should have not said safety out of reach, but confront the God you seek, a flash of red upon your chest, something, something to the meek. Well, I, I just thought of the word meek as well myself as I was sitting yes. here. Yeah, yeah. Confront the God you seek, a flash of, a flash of red upon his chest, um, you know, um, to crush the worthless meek or something like that you know yes you know what I mean? yeah meek is a much better word to finish the the fucking song on surely kerry king yeah. what were you thinking again oh yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all that's what you were thinking any last thoughts on the lyrics stop before we uh draw this thing to a bloody bloody reeking close do you think, um, here's something I, I, I heard recently, um, that uh, Kerry King was personally one of the many, many real-life models for Beavis and Butthead. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's certainly not implausible, is it? Um, um, the, apparently, sort of by, amongst people who knew him, I presume when he was a very young man, um, and people would like read bits to him from true crimes magazines or books about serial killers. And Kerry King would just go like, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I've definitely seen an old video of him where he was head butting. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> enough said. Enough said. <laughs> I nearly got to the end of that sentence without laughing. He was headbutting cans of lager open. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> just but what a human being! What a Absolutely. great human being! Of course, of course, we, we we only mock because we're jealous. Of course. Um, um, the thing is, mate. Um, after the, shall we say, somewhat har- harrowing opening track on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bit of levity. I think a bit of harmless yeah. headbanging. Yeah. Um, and some lyrics about cannibalism was, yeah. was, was kind of what we needed. Yeah, I think you're um, right, actually. And, I'll, I mean, you know, as much as I enjoyed doing last week's episode, it was, you know, it, it was it was gruelling. And, and, and tonight has just been, you know, just, just, just a blast, hasn't it, really, you know? And sometimes that's all you need, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you can't have... Um, and... Uh, I mean, I suppose in theory, Slayer could actually have assembled a side of an album that went like this, a song about the Holocaust, followed by a song about a serial killer, followed by a song about child abuse, followed by uh, a song about an existential descent into hell. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that would be a fucking downer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Should Should we wrap up, Duck? I think we should. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here we offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have missed inadvertently along the way. But before we do that, some details. Here we go. Writing credits, music by Kerry King, lyrics by Kerry King. So this is Kerry's baby. Um, according to Setlist, this was played 72 times, putting it in joint 70th position with Behind the Crooked Cross from South of Heaven. Now, it's worth noting, this track has only ever been played live as part of a complete playthrough of the album. It has never been played live as a track in its own right. Um, So all of those 72 Mm -hmm. plays were when they played Rain in Blood, beginning to end. Um, First play, and this explains this first date, the first play was the London Astoria on July the 8th, 2003. So some 17 years after the album came out, it was the first time they ever played it live. And the last oh. play was at Riot Fest in Colorado, September the 19th, 2014. And I've got a new section to add here, Doc, if you're okay, if yeah. you're okay to ride this out. Um, there's, there's a website called Loudwire. Um, which I quite like. It's good fun. It's a bit kind of clickbaity, but it, but it's but it's pretty good fun. They have very helpfully ranked Slayer track every Slayer track, all one hundred and eighteen Slayer songs in order from one to one hundred and eighteen, and given us a little description and explanation as to why. So I thought it might be fun every week to include this. In our details section, what do you reckon, Doc? Definitely. Um, I mean, as, as long as we uh, give credit where credit is due and cite our sources. Correct. This is this is from the website Loudwire, and the article is called "All 118 Songs Ranked from Worst to Best." 
Um, so you can go and Google that at your leisure. And I recommend you do because it's, there's some good reading there. Um, so piece by piece comes in a rather a lofty 10th position overall. Um, and here's what they say about it. This song is a prime example of how Slayer matured by the time they dropped one of the most iconic albums of all time, Rain in Blood. They still retain the same vicious, unyielding grind that ultimately define their sound, but also display more discipline and control with their arrangements. While the song is very clearly about dismembering the body of a murder victim, the lyrics, bones and blood lie on the ground, rotten limbs lie dead, decapitated bodies found on my wall, your head, seem to very closely resemble... Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. Seem to very closely resemble Milwaukee serial killer... Jeffrey Dahmer's modus operandi. Also, here's where I read the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. So they got the fact wrong gotcha. at the end. Um, but you know, you know, apart from that uh, you know, the, you know, the erroneous fact, I pretty much agree with what they're saying, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to have to insist that teacher, and I want you to do it yourself to prove that you to demonstrate that you understand. Whenever you quote the last line of that verse, you'll say it thusly, on the wall, your head! Your head, yeah, your, your head! Exclamation mark! I think you have to, <laughs> you have to actually verbalise the, the punctuation as well. Um, this track is the only track on the album entirely credited to Kerry King. Um, I mean, really, this is Hanneman's album, I would say, Doc, especially musically. He's credited on nine of the ten tracks in terms of the Good music, one. where King gets five credits for the music. So Rain in Blood is really is Hanneman's beast. Final thoughts, Doc, come on. I mean, I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, in isolation, um, maybe less enjoyable than as, as, as part of the melange. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to stick to what I said earlier on. It's a bit of levity, um, which I think you need after the unremitting brutality of Angel of Death and before the unremitting brutality of um, the rest of the album. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a good song. You're struggling a bit, aren't you, Doc, really? You, 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 have you found this track a bit bland? Is that the problem? Um, no, uh, but uh, I, I can't think of much to comment beyond, um, it's a good song. Yeah, yeah no, it's fair it's fair enough. I, I tend to agree with you, to be honest. It, it is a good song. Um, I'd, I'd be very surprised if we find a bad song on this album, incidentally. Um, yeah. So, you know, but, but you know, in, in, in the grand oeuvre of Slayer, is it a classic? No, definitely not. Um, is it one that sticks in the head for long afterwards? Probably not. Um, you know, could we call it filler? That seems a bit harsh, but it, it a little bit. I, th I think there are three songs on this album that, that could be defined as filler tracks, and this could be one of them. Um, I mean, is it? Does it? Is, is this the Kerry King track? I mean, is, is this what Slayer have instead of, like, the Ringo track on a Beatles album? Yeah, it, 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 but... I don't think so, though, because you know, because that's really, really unfair on Kerry. Because you know, he's delivered black magic. You know, I think he was instrumental in Chemical Warfare. 
on later albums. He closes out Divine Intervention with Mind Control. You know, uh, I think Spirit in Black is a Kerry King song. Um, you know, he, he can deliver. He really can deliver punch. Um, but just maybe on this occasion, it was just a little bit too simplified. It's interesting, though, because generally when people think about Slayer and their kind of punk and hardcore influence, it's flowing from the direction of Jeff Hanneman. But this is this is a this is a Kerry a Kerry jam. Yeah. So I think it's probably time to um, to say bye bye. I think you're right. Uh, piece by piece. Yeah. Are you going to pronounce uh, Doc? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, it's worth more than half. I'm yeah. going to give it six out of ten. Well, six out of ten. Who would have? Who would have known that a track on Raining Blood would, would drop as low as six? Um, what am I going to give it? I mean, instinctively, instinctively, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hit with hit a number. I'm going to say eight out of 10 for me. Because I, I, okay. I really did enjoy it. And that, you know, the, that, the, the technicality of that, of that opening section, which is repeated throughout I'm very, very impressed by, um, and you know, just the general silliness of the lyrics entertain me <laughs> so much that yeah, I'm, I'm feeling uh, positively disposed towards it. So eight out of ten for me, Doc. Um, anything else to say? No, um, we're only two tracks in, no. um, and um, more good stuff to come. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatetanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the third track from Raining Blood, which is entitled Necrophobic. That, good people, is your homework. Join me then, Doc. See you later.